All right, the kindergarten through fifth can go to class, and then nursery age can go. I, I guess Beatrice is excited to go. Leave, doesn't want to hear Dad speak, so no. Um, while they're heading back, we're going to turn to Mark chapter 11. We're going to read the scripture, and then we'll pray, and then we'll dive into the gospel according to Mark this morning to hear from the Word of God. So Mark chapter 11, starting in verse 27, going to chapter 12, verse 12. It's a bigger chunk of section, but I believe we're going to learn some things today that help us to live life and to focus on Jesus. So this is what the gospel writer writes for us. They arrived again in Jerusalem, and while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked. And who gave you authority to do this? Jesus replied, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism, was it from heaven or of human origin? Tell me. They discussed it among themselves and said, If we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, they feared the people, for everyone held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We don't know. Jesus said, Neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. Jesus then began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard. He put a, small, he put a wall around it, dug a pit for the wine press, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect some, from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them. They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others. Some of them they beat, others they killed. He had one left to send, a son, whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, They will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him, threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read this passage of Scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Then the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. Pray with me, and before I pray, listen to this. Herb Miller, a writer, wrote this. Like the food supply for an army, 
prayer simultaneously feeds the individual Christian's spiritual growth and the church's effectiveness in mission. If prayer is not emphasized, both starve. Why do we pray? For our own spiritual growth, but also the effectiveness of the church's mission. If we don't pray, they both starve. They don't do any good. That's why we pray. That's why we have Wednesday prayer meeting. That's why we have prayers in our home. That's why we meet together. Don't forget about prayer. Because I do agree with this writer. Both starve if prayer is not emphasized. I need to do more of it too myself. That's why I pray before every sermon up here. That's why I pray when I study. So pray with me and for me as we get into God's Word this morning. God, we come to You because You are the only source of life. True life. Your throne of grace is a sweet place to be. So thank You for allowing us to come before Your throne, to call on You, to say help us, save us, Thank you for the gospel according to Mark and how it's written down for us even this many, many years later. Help us to learn from it today, to grow from it, to share it with others. Most importantly, help us to focus our attention and eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Thank you for the reminder today that He went to the cross to die for us and that Your grace covers us. God, help us to draw near to You and just to feel Your presence here today. God, bring Your Holy Spirit to each one of us and allow the Holy Spirit to teach us and open our hearts and minds. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. A song group wrote this song, and the chorus goes like this. Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong, in the Savior's love, through the storm He is Lord, Lord of all. Christ alone, cornerstone. You see the title there, Cornerstone. That's who we're going to be talking about today. Jesus, the Cornerstone. If you go outside these doors here, you take a quick right outside the ramp, and you go to the bushes right here, and you look on the building, you will see this. Ferris Church of Christ, 1868 and 1979. That is a cornerstone on a building. 1868, I believe, is when the church started, correct? That's why it's on the sign, or the cornerstone. And 1979, I believe that this is, 1979 is when this building was built, right? That's why those two dates are on 
that cornerstone of a building. It reminds you, it helps you to say, Ferris Church of Christ started in 1868 and this building was built in 1979. That's a cornerstone. Did you know that? How many of you knew that before I said it? Yes, all of you, almost all of you. That's a cornerstone on a building. So if you go to a building and you see a stone like that, that's what that is, a cornerstone. And this passage, you'll get, we'll get to it later in the parable where he talks about the vineyard and the tenants and they're sending the servants back and, and Jesus says, haven't you read? We'll get there. So let's take a look at this passage of Scripture. It's a chunk of section and as I was studying it, writing thoughts down and getting thoughts in my head, I was like, oh man, this is going to be like a 12-hour sermon. Because there's a lot in here, and you know how you think, like, did I take off too, did I, what's that saying? Bite off too much I could chew, is that it? I think I did that this week. We could be here all day, but I think that we're going to get the main point here today. But if you want more, come to my office, we'll sit down and study it, okay? But you're going to get a glimpse of what's in this passage. Again, this is the gospel according to Mark. And verse 27, they arrived again in Jerusalem. So they're coming back to Jerusalem. And Jesus is walking into the temple with his disciples. The, remember, these are the same temple courts where he just drove out everybody. Remember that from last week? He drove out the money changers. He flipped over their tables he said, you can't even carry merchandise through here to those who's carrying merchandise. He, this is the same temple courts. He's back with his disciples. And look who comes to him, the religious leaders. You have that, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the others come to Jesus. So the religious leaders see Jesus and they approach Jesus in the same temple courts where everything is just gone because Jesus did it. And verse 28, they ask a question. They attack Jesus with questions. And if you've been with us in the Gospel according to Mark series, they're always attacking Jesus with questions. They're trying to trap him or warrant for an arrest, okay? So they come to Jesus. They say, hey, Jesus, where are you getting this authority from? Who's telling you to do this? And then Jesus so, you know, he has his teaching ways. And he says, hey, I'm going to ask you a question. And if you answer that question, I'll answer your question. Okay? I don't speak like that with people. I don't know if you've ever done that. If they ask you a question and then you don't want to answer it and you say, hey, I'll ask you a question. You answer correctly, I'll answer you. I've never done that before. Have you? Probably not. But Jesus, you know, he's the best teacher of all. So he says, you answer my question, I'll answer your question. And the question is, John's baptism, was it from heaven or of human origin? Tell me, he says. That's a, in, your, in my Bible, it's an exclamation point. I just feel like Jesus is like, tell me now. I want you to tell me right away, okay? But, you know, they have to kind of discuss it together. And as they're discussing, this is just like 
you know, I, w- I want to be in this huddle. Because they say, well, if we say from heaven, then he's going to ask, or then he's going to tell us, well, why didn't you believe him? And then if, if it's from human origin, well, the people knew John. The people said John was a prophet. So if we say from human origin, well, something else is going to happen. So they don't know which one to say, so what do they say? We don't know. So after all the options are away, there's only two options they got from heaven or from human origin. I don't know how long this discussion took. But they come back to Jesus and say, we don't know. We don't know. Now, I want you to go on a journey with me. You've been, who's been here through the whole Gospel According to Mark series? Have you heard every message? Who has heard every message? If you haven't, here's a recap. Because leading up to this point, just look at some of these things. This is a journey through Mark so far about the religious leaders. Here we go. In chapter 2, Jesus looked at a paralyzed man. Remember, the paralyzed man came down from the roof, lowered by his friends. And Jesus looks at the man and says, Your sins are forgiven. And the religious leaders are like, Oh man, who can forgive sins but God? This guy's blaspheming. Hearing this, Jesus healed the man, and then he went and walked away, right? Also in chapter 2, you got the Pharisees asking Jesus, why does he, or ask his disciples, why does he eat with sinners? And Jesus heard this, he tells them, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Remember that one. And then again in chapter 2, the Pharisees question Jesus on his disciples picking grain on the Sabbath. Remember, they're walking on the Sabbath, they're hungry, they're picking grain. And Jesus explains the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath, speaking of himself. In chapter 3, you get to these religious leaders, and they're thinking Jesus is possessed by Beelzebul, Satan. Chapter 7, the Pharisees and some teachers of the law question Jesus about his disciples eating food with defiled hands. They're supposed to wash their hands before they eat this food. And Jesus taught about follow the commands of God, not human traditions. And then chapter 10, Pharisees test Jesus by asking about divorce. And Jesus teaches them on God's view on marriage relationships. He takes it back to the beginning, remember that? God created male and female. And then earlier in chapter 11, Jesus enters Jerusalem on a colt, welcomed as king. Remember that? He's walking in on a colt and people are laying branches and their cloaks on the ground saying, Hosanna, save us now, king. And then he comes into the temple courts. We just talked about that earlier. He comes into the temple courts the next day and he wipes it out and he says, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. And you've made it a den of robbers. They looked for a way to kill Jesus, if you remember that from last week. They wanted to kill Jesus and they're looking for a way to do it. Since Jesus came on the scene, he's preaching, he's teaching, he's healing. 
And these religious leaders, I think, have heard it. They've seen it. They've experienced it. All that Jesus was doing. They've witnessed these things that should have been attributed to only God. And how did they answer his question? Is John's baptism from heaven or from human origin? They come up with, we don't know. (laughs) We don't know, Jesus. Because they did not answer his question, what happens? He doesn't answer their question. David Garland, in his commentary, wrote this, They must admit that they cannot tell the difference between what is from God and what is from men. Or for that matter, from Satan. And remember they said he was possessed by Beelzebub, Satan, back in chapter 3. So they have to admit that they couldn't tell the difference between what is from God and what is from man. They're like, we don't know, Jesus. We don't know. Garland also said this, To have the kind of faith that Jesus seeks, one has to infer on one's own who has authorized Jesus to do and say what he does. Jesus wants people to have faith, but they have to come on their own and say, Jesus has been given this authority by God and only God. It goes back to our main question, if you've been with us. What's the main question that we want to answer as we're studying the gospel according to Mark? What's the question we've been asking ourselves? Who is Jesus to you and to me? Who is Jesus to you? We can't answer that for somebody. I can't look at you and say, This is what I believe about Jesus, and I'm going to transfer that into your mind, and you're going to think that without you acknowledging it. But you have to say on your own who Jesus is. If you just think he's a good teacher, fine, you're honest. But we all have to answer the question, who is Jesus to you? Now, Don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with answering a question we don't know. Is there anything wrong with that? I've answered many questions. I don't know. I've answered many questions that way because I honestly did not know the answer. So it's not necessarily wrong to say we don't know. But if you know the correct answer and you say we don't know, there's a problem. Right? If you know the answer and you say, I don't know, there's a problem with that because you're not speaking the truth. You know the answer and you don't know it. They probably knew the answer. I'm just going to be honest. They probably knew the answer and they didn't want to do it. They didn't want to answer Jesus correctly. So they said, we don't know. And then he goes into a parable. Okay? Jesus began to speak to them in parables. Now there's a, it says parables. Yes, he probably spoke many parables to them. Only Mark records the parable of the tenants here. So he goes on and says a parable. And like I said, Jesus has his way. He's always in teaching mode. I've said that many times. Jesus 
They say, we don't know. And Jesus said, well, I'm not going to answer your question either, but I'll tell you a story and let you think about it. So he goes on to this story about a vineyard. And no doubt these religious leaders are going to be listening up to what Jesus is saying. David Garland writes this also in his commentary, which I think I told one of you this week. This is what was hitting me this week. David Garland writes this. And we're going to start at the end of the parable here in a second. Mark does not present Jesus despised and rejected by the people of Israel, but by the leaders of the people. If you look at verse 12, it says, Then the chief priest, the teachers of the law, and the elders looked for a way to arrest him, Jesus, because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. Not against the people of Israel. Against them. They're the religious leaders. They are the teachers of the law. They are the chief priests. They are the elders. They're supposed to be teaching what? Truth. They're supposed to be teaching Scripture. They're supposed to be answering questions from people. And they knew that it was spoken against them. Leaders have a responsibility, correct? I'm a minister of the good news about Jesus Christ. I have a responsibility to come to this pulpit or come in my office or prayer meeting, Bible study, or any gathering I'm leading. What is my responsibility as a minister? To proclaim truth, Scripture, draw people closer to Jesus. That's a responsibility. Is it a hard responsibility? Yes. Somebody said yes. It's hard. It's difficult. If people don't want to come near Jesus, I can't force them to, but I can keep planting and proclaiming truth. There's other leaders, right, in the church. There's elders, deacons, Sunday school teachers? Are we drawing people closer to Jesus? Or are we not? (laughs) If I come to this pulpit or teach in a class or anything, and people go away not closer to Jesus or not excited in their faith journey, I've failed. Right? But Jesus says this parable and they say, we want to kill or arrest Jesus because he's speaking against us as the religious leaders that are supposed to be teaching people about God and drawing people closer to God. And they probably thought about the clearing of the temple. My house is supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations, not a den of robbers. That's why it hit me this week because 
leaders have a responsibility. If you come to church and you leave the place and say, the leaders did nothing for me today. We failed if we didn't do our, our responsibility. That is why it's important, like I go back to earlier, prayer is important. We pray for you, you pray for us. We pray for each other because our spiritual growth needs to not be starved and the effectiveness of a church ministry is not going to be starved if we keep praying and praying and praying and working together. Yes, there is. Jesus speaks a parable against them. So what's in the parable? It's a vineyard. The owner says, hey, take care of my vineyard. And then he sends servants back, his servants, to go gather the fruit. And the tenants that are taking care of the vineyard, they either beat these servants, they uh, shamefully treat them, and then they, sometimes they kill these servants in this story. And then the owner says, I have one person left. The one I love, my son. In the Greek, it means son whom he loved means my only son. It's the only son I got, so I have to send him back and maybe they'll respect him. But the tenants, they maybe see him coming on the distance. They're like, ooh, that is the son of the owner. They're probably, in the story, the tenants are probably thinking, well, the, the father, the owner's probably dead because the son's coming now. So this is our chance to kill the son because he's the heir of this property, this vineyard. If we kill him, we get the vineyard. So they took him and killed him, threw him out of the vineyard. And then Jesus says this, What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. So the owner's going to go to the tenants. It's very graphic. Kill them and give the vineyard to somebody else. And remember, he's speaking a parable. And verse 10, he says this. Haven't you read this passage of Scripture? Who's listening to the story? The religious leaders. Do you think they're going to know what Scripture he's talking about? You betcha. Haven't you read? Because Jesus looks probably straight in the eye and says, You've read this before. Trust me. Haven't you read this? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The religious leaders hear this, and they think of the Scripture he's talking about. And we've quoted it earlier. Maybe I've quoted I missed probably, but we've quoted it. Psalm 118. It's the same psalm where they, the people quoted some of it in the Jerusalem entry. Hosanna, save us. 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So this whole psalm, they know. And these religious leaders are trying to trap him in his words, and they should be well-versed in Scripture, right? They should know kind of what this means, which I think they do, but they just don't want to admit it. Remember, they answered to their question, John's baptism from heaven or human, or what did they answer? We don't know. So I want to hone in on this word, cornerstone. Everybody say that. Cornerstone. The International Standard Bible Encyclopedia says this, No doubt the original meaning was important, or some important stone, which was laid at the foundation of a building. It also mentions this, it could be foundation stone or topmost or capstone. So you have a cornerstone. It's a foundation stone where you place it, and what do you do? You build up from it, right? The foundation. And then you have a capstone. Some translations say capstone. I forget which one. Anybody have the capstone if they have their Bible open? Somebody raise their hand. Teresa, you have capstone. Okay, which translation? Okay, it's the old NIV. That's right. I have the new NIV. Sorry. I have the 2011, you have the 1984. Yes, 1984 NIV says capstone. So you have foundation stone, which is a cornerstone. And another translation is capstone. It could be the same thing. But a capstone goes on top. What does that do? It holds the building together. Now everybody say Jesus. Jesus is the chief cornerstone and the capstone, the head of the corner. It's another translation. In Revelation chapter 22, verse 13, Jesus says this, I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. I am the foundation and I am the head. I, I glue everything together. Jesus is the cornerstone. He's the foundation and he's the head. Listen to this. Jesus is the foundation that his bride, the church, the family of God is built on. Don't we build on the foundation of Jesus? And Jesus is also the capstone, the top, the head of the corner, the head of the church, the family of God. So if we're building our life on Jesus, the foundation stone, and Jesus is the head of the church, the capstone, who should we be following? Jesus. We build our foundation on Jesus. We live our life for Jesus. He came on the scene and he said this, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Believe the good news. What does Mark say the good news is? Jesus. Jesus is speaking and saying, repent, believe the good news. I'm here. Jesus asked his disciples, remember this, who do you say I am? Yeah, you told me what other people say, but I wanted you to tell me what you believe. 
Who do you say I am? And Peter speaks up and says, You are the Messiah. Jesus, you are the Messiah. The religious leaders of the people in Jesus' day despise and reject Jesus. They see Jesus doing all these things and they want to arrest him and kill him. The religious leaders do. And they know the scriptures, right? Jesus says, haven't you read this? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is a Messiah text. This is what they would be thinking. It's a Messiah text. But they don't want to admit that Jesus is from God or is God. If you keep reading in the New Testament, there's Peter and Paul. They write this about Jesus, the cornerstone. The one who believes or trusts in him, the cornerstone, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, will never be put to shame, disappointed, never have cause to regret it. Peter and Paul. Remember, Mark's writing from Peter's memory. And Peter and Paul say, if you believe in Jesus, you trust that Jesus is the Messiah, you're never going to be disappointed. I don't know about you, but I haven't been disappointed since putting my trust and faith and belief in Jesus. I haven't been disappointed. I haven't had cause to regret doing that. And last week we heard Jesus tell his close disciples, remember, Jesus said, have faith in God. Faith in God. And then you read from Hebrews, the Hebrew writer writes this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. You think the religious leaders didn't want to get rid of something? They didn't want to get rid of maybe their, their teachings, their truth. The Hebrew writer goes on, Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. And one of my favorite verses for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And then the writer says, Consider him, think about Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. If you put your faith and trust and belief in Jesus, You won't be disappointed. And these religious leaders knew that Jesus spoke. Is it on? Thank you. I think the battery died. So, spoke the parable against them. And they looked for a way to arrest Jesus. Because they were afraid, but they were afraid of the crowd, so they left and went away. You won't be disappointed when you put your faith and hope in Jesus. Yes, the road is not easy, it's hard. 
you have probably many people in this room that can attest the Christian life following Jesus is hard. Today, there's space to respond. There's prayer space. You can pray up here. You can pray at your seat. You can find somebody if you want to pray with somebody, for somebody. There's space if you're a follower of Jesus and you're like, I need a church family and I want to join Ferris. There's time and place for that. But there's also a place today to put your hope and trust in Jesus, the Messiah. And I think, yes, people will encourage you. You won't be disappointed. You're not going to regret the decision if you do it today. Repent, just like Jesus said, repent. Believe the good news. Believe in Jesus. Confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. Be baptized for the forgiveness of sins and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then you won't be disappointed. Because why? We have each other. I never thought when I was younger that I would be a preacher. When you have people that encourage you, it keeps you going. If you haven't started your journey of faith and you may be like I don't know how to do it I didn't know how to do it at age 12 trust me I still sometimes don't know how to do it (laughs) that's why we have each other to come alongside and say you're in the faith journey let's run together with perseverance fixing our eyes on Jesus because Jesus is what the foundation we build on and the capstone, the head of the body, it keeps us together. So if you need to make a decision, do it today as we pray and sing our last song. This is a prayer by Alec Langford. God of all, may those who came to worship go with added happiness. May those who came with fear and doubt go with new faith. May those who came in sorrow leave with joy. And may those who came to receive go to serve. In the name of Jesus, amen. Let us stand as we sing our last song.